Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the TF1 podcast. This is going to be the Hungarian GP review. Let's get right into it. Let's go. So what a weekend we've had, but not just what a weekend of racing, but we've actually had quite a bit of news during this week. Uh, This has been um, a lot of different moving items coming up before the Hungarian GP even started. And as usual, we also have some things that we've learned as far as breaking news after the race. So let me tackle those before we get into a detailed analysis of this Hungarian GP review, which was just, it had so many elements from, you know, free practice going on to a shocker on Saturday qualifying that none of us expected. And then the way the the race played out on Sunday, there's just so many things to talk about. So let me cover first off uh, in, in the form of, you know, just important and breaking news. Let me cover those. So one of the first things we learned during the week is it has been long rumored, but we weren't expecting this news. So Porsche, uh, the renowned automaker who has been heavily involved in, you know, sports racing since the inception of the company, um, we have now heard reports that they are going to buy 50% stake in Red Bull, the team. And that's that's very interesting. Uh, that's pretty huge news because Red Bull is a very accomplished team in F1. And the fact that Porsche is going to enter in, in a major fashion with an already successful F1 team, um, that, you know, that is going to be something really major to watch. Now, Porsche has not officially come out and confirmed this. This news comes from a filing that was done in one of the Middle Eastern companies from Porsche and its board. So this this kind of bears confirmation from the actual team. Now, this weekend, the head of Red Bull was asked about it, and um, his response was, there's definitely... A plan, a future plan to do that. He said there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces and hurdles as far as the contracts that they need to sort between each other. So, you know, this hasn't yet, you know, like I said, um, been sealed and signed, but it looks to be, unless there's any major hurdles between the two parties, this is this looks to happen in the future and it's going to be very formidable when these two combine because uh you know uh, i mean they're powerhouses so we're going to watch that space okay um the other piece of news i wanted to bring to you guys and i wanted to get both the news out of the way so we can concentrate on the race analysis is and this is actually news that broke today Now, we learned during the week that Sebastian Vettel of Austin Martin Racing, after many years of racing for different teams, you know, he's finally retiring. Uh, He gave, you know, pretty eloquent um, explanation to the media and to to his team um, as far as the reasons he's doing that. Um, Not only has he raced for many years, but uh, Sebastian has been as, you, as most of you guys who watch F1 closely know, he has, over recent years, especially the last few years, 
he has championed different causes outside of the racetrack. Uh, one of them being the environment. He's a huge proponent of protecting the environment. And when you're in an F1 um, contingency that you know travels to a lot of different places, that means jet fuel, you're driving cars, uh, although they've made a lot of progress, that also burn a lot of fuel, even though they, they have an e-fuel mixture now. They, they don't use the previous fuel that they used to use. Um, he's just passionate about that, and he said that's one of the big reasons. And the other thing is just simply spending more time with family. You know, he has been uh, racing a long time. That obviously uh, takes quite a bit of dedication, um, and it, it, it definitely comes, like most athletes, it comes at uh, a price of you not spending too much time with your family because you're constantly traveling. So he is made the decision to do that. Now, what's interesting, what's breaking today is that his replacement at Austin Martin has already been announced, and it's going to be Alonzo, uh, who's going to be leaving Alpine at the end of the, the year. Now, nobody saw this coming, and it's a really curious move from Alonzo because that Alpine car has been really improving this year. He's been having a good battle with his teammate Ocon. So, you know, it has a lot of people scratching their head because Austin Martin, the car has uh, struggled. You know, they brought certain updates and I'm sure it's going to get better um, as the season goes along. But this is a car that we're talking about is struggling in the midfield. It's actually kind of, I would say, bottom midfield, although they've been improving the last three to four races. So it's a curious move uh, why you'd go from a team like Alpine that you have a lot of history with uh, with Alonso and you see how their car has been steadily improving um, the fact that you go backwards you know again we're, we're not going to know the exact reasons whether it's motivated by money or whether there are other changes in Austin Martin that are going to suit Alonso in the future um, <clears throat> we're not going to really know for sure but the the main thing I know is they were in negotiations and um, Alpine really wanted him to stay. But it, what I'm reading is he wanted a more longer term uh, commitment as opposed to one year and then an option, which is what Alpine wanted. So while that was happening, um, I believe what happened was since uh, Austin Martin were monitoring the Sebastian Vettel situation, they softly approached Alonzo in case Vettel decided to retire. And that's exactly how everything played out. So those were uh, the two uh, major news items that we had during the week. And like I said, even after the race. And so let's let's go back to the to the race analysis. And, and as usual, Let's just set up before we even get to Sunday. Of course, there's crucial things that have that happened on Friday and Saturday that kind of set us up for the race. Right. So on Friday practice, we're just looking at the times and everything. What was expected coming to this weekend was, you know, Ferrari's car is going to really suit the Hungarian track. And, the, you know, that proved out that played out exactly as we thought the, the times they were setting was very fast. Just this track with the downforce that Ferrari has, it just suited them. And even Red Bull, who are 
you know, typically fast at all the tracks, they were struggling as well, but not as badly as Mercedes was. And, you know, we talked about it last podcast, Mercedes with that W13 has been making really steady progress. They're definitely not at the place that Red Bull and Ferrari are, but you can see each weekend how they're getting closer. And what was curious was on Friday, it was actually a really disappointing outing for them in practice. And when you heard the team comments, uh, the, the head of Mercedes was not happy with the pace. Even the drivers were almost, you know, um, almost kind of signifying, did we take a step backwards because they were, they were not happy with the balance. They just weren't where they needed to be. And so you had that playing out on Friday. And then one of the things that also happened was, um, leading up to qualifying the Red Bull cars also had an, uh, they had issues as well. So what was happening was, um, going into now this is Friday going into Saturday qualifying. So I'll get into the engine problems that Red Bull faced on Saturday. This is, you know, right after qualifying, but so overnight, like I said, Mercedes were really unhappy with the way the cars were responding. So they spent an incredible amount of time on the track and, you know, the, the effort was really, really massive in understanding what was going on on the track. And what they did was they did a radical major setup change, um, leading up to Saturday's qualifying. Now, when, when qualifying happened, um, as I mentioned to you guys, what played out was, so you thought for sure, you know, the Ferraris were gonna qualify, you know, and, and take pole, but that did not happen. Once you saw Q1 and Q2, <clears throat> one of the things we noticed, even with the Ferraris, of course, being strong, and, and that was definitely expected, you, we noticed that there was engine issues, as I mentioned, that was uh, happening to Max's car. And so that really affected his qualifying. He qualified 10th. But the, the amazing thing was the pace that the Mercedes had. And so Russell of Mercedes had an absolutely fantastic performance. And in the last part of qualifying, he just blitzed and set you know, literally a perfect lap. He did not make one mistake. And this was almost on the very last lap of Q3. And he set a time that even the Ferrari guys, Leclerc and Sainz, they could not even touch that time. So what an amazing um, transformation if, if you looked at how they were looking on Friday and what the engineers did overnight on Saturday to set up the car for Russell and Hamilton. And when Hamilton was setting up his time also on that last lap, he experienced DRS issues. And, and it was unfortunate for him because he mentioned after the qualifying that had it not been for the DRS issues that they had, it could have very well been a one-two for Mercedes. So you would he would have actually bumped Leclerc and signs down. So it was just unfortunate timing, but um, Lewis actually... Uh, he ended up, 
he ended up, he had to qualify seventh just because of the DRS issues that he had. But, you know, that was Russell, you know, Sainz and Leclerc. And then Norris did a very good job to qualify his car in fourth. So it was a fantastic performance in qualifying, which sets up the grid, uh, really spicy grid for us for Sunday. Because like I said, with the issues that Red Bull had, Max was now slotted in 10th. So you thought, okay, well, maybe he's going to try to get into a top five position on Sunday, right? So this is what we have set up for Sunday. Now, the thing to keep in mind for Sunday's race, as we're about to get into a detailed breakdown of the race, was the conditions on Sunday were not the same as Saturday. And I'm saying that now because that's going to play a very important part in how the tire choices that each individual team made, that's gonna affect the tire choices, okay? Um, And it's gonna be crucial, you know, how the outcome of the race turns out. So between Saturday and Sunday, Sunday um, there were intermittent small rain showers and the temperature of the track had really cooled down, okay? So keep in mind you have your allotted tires that you plan on starting the race, but the temperature has gone down, okay? Now, so as they're doing the formation lap, um, one thing that I found very interesting, and I, I, I don't think most of us really knew this piece of information until after the race, or maybe those people that had tuned in prior to the race starting, maybe you were hip to this, but I certainly didn't know this. What happened was Verstappen and the team, Red Bull, were actually trying to finalize, you know, they have a set of plans, each F1 team does, uh, as far as what they're gonna do with strategy and what tires they're gonna start, right? So they have meetings about it. And so Red Bull had considered different options. And one of the options they were looking at is possibly starting with the hard tires and having a long first stint, okay? Because, you know, again, keep in mind, Max and Red Bull are not starting from uh, the usual position of starting at the front because of his engine problems. He's all the way in the back at 10th. So you have to be creative in how you're going to overhaul and play out the race. So they were actually considering that. Now, what happened was on the starting grid, you know, which a lot of us don't realize is there's constant communication between the driver and the pit wall. And one of the things, because they really pay attention that they noticed on the Red Bull side is even when doing the formation lap, Verstappen had struggled um, as far as grip. And so even though they were considering the the um, the hard tires, when they saw and they were communicating on the radio, they were listening to the different feedback from the drivers, that decision and there were plenty of talks going on. Imagine now this is just literally in one lap, they're gathering very important information because you only have the formation lap to decide, you know, before you have to start the race. So once they saw and they got feedback from the driver, they said, oh, no, 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 he's already struggling for grip. And, 
you know, he has a soft tires. We're, we're not going to change that. We're going to keep the softs because that is going to be, you know, that is going to be the best tire to start because they had considered the mediums and they had considered the hard. So based on the fast reaction time that they have, they decided they're going to, you know, stick with the softs. Now that's going to be a very vital decision. As you guys already know, in the background, that is going to serve them extremely well during the race because of that decision that they made. Okay. So as the race ensues, the race begins, and I'm, I'm going to circle back to the strategy choices and decisions that Red Bull keep on getting right. And there's also a person that I want to introduce you guys to that not a lot of people are familiar with. That is almost a secret weapon for Red Bull when it comes to strategy. And this person has, you know, kind of in the shadows been a really, I mean, it's not just one individual, obviously that makes the decision, but it's the head person for strategies, the head engineer. And it's, it's really very interesting to find out how they seem to get their strategy correct most of the time, almost all the time, unlike Ferrari, which we're going to get into. So once the race begins, you had Russell who made a fantastic getaway. Uh, he was absolutely uh, on it when it comes because the two Ferraris that were behind him, you know, on pure downforce and pace, they probably have a little more advantage on on Russell uh, be, just because of the the you know the pace of the car, and so you didn't know how long that was going to last. But Russell did an amazing job, and so you had the race playing out where the 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 cars now with Ferrari chasing Russell. And now going down the middle of the field, you knew with that McLaren Norris did an outstanding job to quali qualify it up front, but it's really not going to have the pace of the cars up front. So we already knew between being sandwiched and having, you know, Ferraris around you, having Red Bulls and Mercedes and of Hamilton, who, like I said, was seventh because of the DRS issues, he was swarmed with all those cars. So as the, as the race was going on, what you saw was now what's playing out is the Red Bulls were making headway um, as they're chasing Russell. Now, Hamilton was stuck for a little bit behind Norris, but he also, as usual, made a really get uh, great getaway. And so now he, he struggled a little bit at the beginning because it, it takes time to put a pace in these tires. But once he was able to pass Norris, now, you know, Hamilton is making headway. And you're seeing from the different times that the cars were setting that the Mercedes and the W13, you know, they've really unlocked some major pace in there because the Ferraris had a very hard time up upending um, Russell. You can see how strong the balance of the car was. And you can see after the initial struggle and being behind Norris, once Hamilton got a little bit of clear air, you know, he was 
putting in tremendous times and he was putting in times that even Red Bull, uh, um, excuse me, even Ferrari weren't matching. And we said Red Bull, he, he also was making a better, um, better times than Perez. Now, um, uh, Max was now progressing. He, at first he made sure that he avoided a melee because he got boxed in right at the beginning. And this is what comes with maturity. You know, the old Max would have had his elbows out and, you know, he would have probably risked, um, you know, being in an accident on the first lap. But the new version of Max that we see racing this year is more analytical and more careful. And he knows that you don't have to win a race on the first lap. So you can see a fundamental change in the way he approaches racing. When he got boxed in at the beginning, what he did was just, you know, sit back a little bit. Yes, he may have lost a position, but you don't win a race on lap one. There's 72, 73 laps to go. You have to make a judgment and, and make a call. And so once he safely, without getting his car damaged, struggled the first couple of laps, now he started making inroads and making movements. So as we're approaching the, the middle part of the race now where you have to account for coming into the pits, we, we see certain things going on. So the, the Ferrari is able to, um, Sainz had an, just an un, unbelievable pass on Russell, even though Russell made it hard on him. He made a pass that, I mean, I had to, that pass was just, it was very precise and it, it was really um, magnificent to watch. So he's made hay, now he's made headway. And so, you know, as you're looking at the race, you're thinking, okay, I mean, the way this plays out, you know, even though Mercedes has done a really good job, there might be a situation where you're going to see at least one Ferrari in Charles Leclerc on the podium. And who knows, maybe even size because they had strong race space. But here's where it starts getting interesting. Okay. So on the next set of pit stops, now Leclerc is on the radio telling the team that he feels like the mediums he's on has good pace. He's carving up the field and he communicates to them that the pace on the mediums is really good for reasons that we don't know. When he comes to the pits, Ferrari decide to put him on hard tires. Okay. Um, and I pause here because it, it just was a baffling decision when your driver has already communicated to you not once but several times and is telling you that now the pace of the car is really good on mediums but yet you decided to make an executive decision and put him on hards and by the way as i mentioned to you guys and this is why i said that the temperature and the difference the difference on the track temperature from Saturday to Sunday, that was crucial because that also was a marker for the teams on what type of compound they're going to use because you're going to struggle if you had the hearts. But Ferrari went ahead and did that decision. So once they did that and, you know, Charles Leclerc came out, now that proved to be really detrimental to them and their strategy because at this point 
um, he lost so much time on the track. Now, Hamilton and Mercedes, because they made the, the correct tire decisions with Russell and with Hamilton, they had tremendous pace now in the middle of the stint. But what was happening for Leclerc was he was almost losing a second a lap. Guys, this is, I mean, this loses you every lap you're going and you have a deficit of lap. Now you're looking, you're a losing track position. So keep in mind, Perez and uh, Verstappen are now making ground and coming up, especially Verstappen because of the tires that he has and let's let's remember this also one of the crucial things between and i mentioned to you guys at the beginning between saturday and sundays the red bulls both cars uh, of max and sergio have brand new engines in them okay so when you with the brand new engines and parts you also have you also have a performance bump that comes up because it's an unused engine okay so that is helping Verstappen and that's also adding Perez because again, they, they have fresh power units. So they're making headway while on the other hand, you have Leclerc who's losing tremendous amount of time because they've made a mistake on the tire compound. So what's going to happen is, you know, you didn't listen to your driver. You, you made the wrong decision. Now, when that happens, well, guess what? You have to now correct the mistake that you made and you have to bring, uh, you have to bring Leclerc in now for another pit stop. So you just cost yourself additional time and now you're going to have to bring him to put in the correct tires. So that was a major mistake right there. With signs, what happens is, so every time that he had a pit stop now they didn't put the hard tires on science car okay they avoided that mistake they did with leclerc but guess what they shot themselves in the foot because both of science stops were really bad stops so in the pit lane that's the second you know uh ferrari driver now that lost track position because both his stops were slow that enabled people like verstappen like hamilton and russell to to keep their positions and to to leapfrog him so you're talking about science who had qualified uh second now is relegated to almost six okay so this is playing out and you're looking at that and you're going Wow, how did that, you know, how did that play out from you guys qualified second and third and now in the race when strategy decisions have to be made, now you're on the back foot. So as I said earlier, they had to get uh, Leclerc in again for another stop to get him on the correct tires. So now he's lost grid position as well. Okay, so. Again, we, we have to, we really have to do an examination and analysis. And, and I want to get deep with this, guys, before I go back to the race analysis and um, how it finally played out. But this, <clears throat> excuse me, this bears a breakdown because this is not the first time this season where strategy has horribly gone wrong for Ferrari. It's not a first time. It's not a second time. It has actually happened frequently. Okay. And 
after the race, there's certain things with Ferrari. Uh, reports that I read were um, one, not only was the team um, atmosphere not good, which which is very understandable because you really had a horrible weekend, but they said Mattia Bonato, even before the race ended, actually left. This is this is what I've read now. I don't know if that means leaving the paddock, but I know the race didn't even finish when he exited. Now, he did give comments after the race. And, and you know, the thing we don't know is what were these comments attributed just to the Italian media or when he did that. But I know he didn't finish the race, you know, as a leader. When things are not going well, and I understand it's extremely frustrating, of course it has to be. How can it not be for them and for him? But you exiting before, and again, I just want to clarify, I don't know if he left the paddock. I don't think he did, but they said he did not finish the race. So maybe he just left the pit wall and and, um, went into the team garage. But regardless, he did not finish the race. He did not finish watching the race, at least not on the pit wall. Okay. Um, if you listen to comments after the race, so I, I, because I was really interested, I heard what both Ferrari drivers had to say. Signs went into, um, um, I would say towing the company line and basically saying, listen, you know, as a team, we were unlucky that the car did not have the pace, which is what the, the which was the explanation that Matteo Benotto, the head of Ferrari, said as well. He's um, he said, <clears throat> excuse me, um, overall, and this is not word to word, but he explained this is not necessarily a strategy issue. The cars did not have the proper pace today. Now, one side of that is not inaccurate or a lie. I mean, I, you know, I don't have to be a fire engineer to see on cooler conditions on Sunday, the Ferrari was definitely out of its element, which was unlike the Red Bull or the Mercedes, which were, you know, posting very, very fast times, especially the Mercedes W13. And I'll get to the Mercedes aspect of this race in detail. But before I even get to that section, we're talking about Ferrari, they definitely weren't in the element, but that those cars not being in the element does not explain, does not excuse, does not hide the fact that there was a strategy blunder yet again from this team. And I've told you guys in repeated podcasts, you know, this is not, uh, you know, it's easy to pile on, on, on Ferrari on a Monday. And I understand that. And I get that. But like I said, I want to give a detailed breakdown of what's happening instead of just piling on them and, and, and doing that, the decisions they're making and the strategy mistakes go back for Ferrari for years. We're not talking month. We're not talking 2022. I want to bring you guys to, for those people who've watched F1 for a long time, when Sebastian Vettel many years ago drove for Ferrari and they that, that year they had a battle at least for, I would say, the first half 
of the year. There was a close battle with Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. There were plenty of races where you would hear Vettel, even as a driver, giving instructions to the team about strategy or about warming up the tires. You know, these are things that the team should be telling you, not the other way around. As a driver, you're supposed to concentrate on the race. Now, of course, you'll always give input to, you know, your team throughout the race. You're the driver. You're the one that feels the tires and those conditions. But the point I'm simply trying to make to you guys is this problem with strategy is fundamental in Ferrari. This is not a new thing. This is not something that just occurred overnight or three or four races ago. This has been an issue for them a long time. And the question is, when is it going to get fixed and who's going to fix it? Because there's now heavy pressure on Mattia Benito, the head of Ferrari. There's heavy pressure with yet another race that they have given away and now the lead that Verstappen has, you know, Verstappen, as I said, you know, having come from 10th position because of the way Red Bull executed their race, he went, you know, he made some brilliant passes and he finished first in the race. He's now, this is Max Verstappen, has now expanded his lead to 80 points, guys. I mean, he can literally miss one or two races and still finish on top of the standings. And and speaking of Max, the other thing that we didn't know was I'm finding out that this wasn't necessarily a smooth sailing race because he talked about after the race that he had clutch issues in the race. So Verstappen's clutch was overheating and it was actually to the point of nearly burning out. Now, none of us knew this until after the race. And um, there was actually a part where he had a 360 spin. And for those of you guys who caught it, I mean, you talk about even in a spin, the control that he had, it was just poetic the way that he literally, you know, how he coordinated and saved that spin. It was like he didn't even lose two seconds because he immediately got on the throttle and he came back again and and he was being attacked by the ferraris at that point but he got the decision he got the the position back so even in a day where you know like i said he had clutch and up up shifting uh issues which like i said most of us had no idea about he still ends up making headway and finishing first yet ferrari race after race after race, like I said, because of their indecision and bad decision making, they keep on shooting themselves in the foot. And so there are some unconfirmed reports that I've read that it has now become so serious. One, a lot of the major Italian media has now, after the Hungarian GP, they have given up hope that Ferrari has any chance of, you know, uh, winning a championship with Leclerc. They're very sympathetic. And I'm, I'm, I'm now referring to the Italian media who are very um, invested in F1 and they're, they're very vocal. And 
Um, they're very sympathetic to how Leclerc has been let down by the team. Now, let, let's be very transparent here. Leclerc has also made mistakes. This is not just a Ferrari issue. Leclerc, just like he did in France last, you know, last week, an error cost him big time. And so this has not been Ferrari alone, but it's just the team continues to make these situations. Now, after the race, I, I just started telling you guys where signs uh, he told the company line. Uh, Leclerc did not do that. He he said after the race that, you know, in, in a very uh, <laughs> how can I say diplomatic way? He said, you know, I did mention and communicate very clearly over and over again that I felt comfortable with the mediums. I'm not sure why I was put on hards. And this is something that I'll talk to the team about. That's what he said. So you can tell he was angry. Um, he did not tell the company line. He, you know, in a very uh, clever way said, we clearly made the wrong decision. Now, Matt, Matteo Bonotto, the leader of Ferrari, I think this is one of the things that is really going to come back to haunt them. Sometimes as a leader, when you make mistakes, you have to put your hand up and say, hey, we did not do the right thing today. You know, we'll improve for the next race, but we just didn't do the right thing. That has not happened from Ferrari. There's times where a team like Mercedes, and I told you guys, I'm, I'm going to come back to them and break down what an amazing weekend they had. Um, their leader, you know, Total Wolf, the head of Mercedes, this is a team that has eight consecutive championships, okay? If there's any team and any leader that has earned the right to say, listen, I, we didn't do anything wrong. He's the exact opposite. When they, when the car has not done what it needs to, when they've made a mistake, there is a very different response from the eight-time champions. You, you hear their leader vocally say, "Hey, our our car wasn't good today, or we've made a mistake in setup." He he does that. He takes accountability, and they correct it. But it seems from Ferrari's leadership, what we get is there's always an excuse. You know, and unless they start taking ownership of these mistakes and as the leader, unless Benotto starts doing that, I, I just don't know what the outcome is going to be. But I, I started to tell you guys about reports coming out of Italy. One of the things, and again, this is unconfirmed, so take it, take it as it is. Um, they are saying if things don't change. Matteo Bonato's job may not be safe. And it's this is the first time after the Hungarian GP that I've read something that serious. So let's watch the space. A again, we cannot take away from the fact that they have built, Ferrari have built a really fast car. That's a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to win in F1, but they have done that. But one, their car is not the most reliable car, but two, it doesn't matter if you've built a fast car if you keep on shooting yourselves with strategy. So that leads me to what I teased and alluded to earlier. I told you guys when it comes to Red Bull, they have a secret weapon, okay? And we rarely hear about this, but their head of strategy for Red Bull, uh, for the strategy engineering is 
a woman by the name of Hannah Schmitz. Now, let me underline the word woman because I really want to recognize and give her the props because like most sports, especially the higher echelon parts of sports, you know, it's a very male dominated field. Okay. Very male dominated. So it's just an achievement by itself. First off for a woman to break into those ranks, but then not only do you break into those ranks, it's just hard to get in formula one anyway, whether you're a man or a woman, it's just very difficult to get in. But for her to work her way up and be the head of, you know, Red Bull strategy, that's an achievement, but it doesn't stop there. Why I'm highlighting her is not just because she's a woman in strategy and she's in a very important position, but it's because she has been doing an outstanding job. That's why I wanted to highlight her for you guys. The, I heard reports of the decision-making that was happening when Max Verstappen was doing the formation lab, you know, the strategy team for Red Bull is so agile that they are communicating and they're able to make fast decisions on their feet. You know, they can look at the conditions outside and they're very confident in the decisions that they make. And this is, this is led by Hannah. And I really want to recognize the outstanding job that she's doing because, you know, you can see the difference in the way the decision-making process happens with strategy. And so they have, even in years where they haven't had the best car and Mercedes was just, you know, out and about a dominating car. One thing that I'll always that we collectively always notice is if you remember Red Bull were always bold with their strategy. Sometimes they'll take risks, but they've been good with their strategy. And whether you like that team or not, you have to recognize that. So I really want to tip my cap off to her. Uh, she's been doing an outstanding job and just that strategy team, unlike Ferrari's team, uh, they have really been able to react on their feet and that has yielded them quite a big advantage this year and you know i mean i told you guys an 80 point difference i mean unless something absolutely like an act of god happens i mean it looks like max is in control right so just to cap i, I mentioned and tease mercedes you know the exact opposite in the dictionary for this weekend of ferrari was mercedes they were they did not have a good Friday, like I said to you guys. What they did is they put their hands down. They made adjustments. They stayed late into the night on Friday and made some crucial, crucial adjustments. And look at how they executed in the race. You know, they have two fantastic drivers that are taking advantage. Hamilton, the way he gained up the field and you know they they executed the correct tire choices at different points you know they started with softs so that gave them very good grip um, while they were fighting with the field as i mentioned to you guys you can tell the w13 mercedes the, the ferraris had a very hard time i mean there was a lot of laps they couldn't pass russell and russell actually made passes on size um, you know, the, 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 there was passes made on Leclerc by Hamilton. And so 
we're not talking about wet race. This is a, I mean, a dry race. You can see that the pace of the W13 has been increased. And now that we're mid-season, we're halfway in the season, now you're about to have the summer break. Um, I think this is really going to be concerning for Ferrari because if there's steady improvements that Mercedes keep on making, I don't know if they're even going to be able to keep second in, in the constructors. I, I mean, I really think there's a, vage, there's a major worry that that is going to happen. And by the way, in the constructor points, I believe the difference um, with Mercedes having a, a second and third, they've closed down the difference. It's only 30 something points now. Okay. So that can be undone within the next few races, depending on what kind of result uh, Mercedes get and Ferrari get. So yeah, the exact opposite of Ferrari's weekend was Mercedes. And again, you have to salute the way they approach the weekend. They, you know, put their head down, as I mentioned, and adjusted their cars. They executed strategy brilliantly. So I tell you guys, it was um, amazing to see what kind of close racing we had all the way down. Um, even, you know, the midfield, you can see the battles that the McLarens were having with the Alpines. Uh, the McLarens did get the best of, of those cars and, and, and down the field. So you can just see that the changes they've made to these cars have been so crucial in allowing them to fight closely. So we were uh, treated to another really fantastic racing weekend. And again, I know this that wasn't the case for Ferrari fans and it's unfortunate for them. But we head into the summer break now with um, some real huge momentum behind Red Bull. Uh, we're going to see how everything plays out. But this sums up the Hungarian GP review. And as always, I want to thank everybody from different parts of the globe that has been supporting TF1 podcast. Uh, in the show notes, you'll see the Twitter page for our TF1 podcast as well. So I thank you so much. Keep on supporting us. And I will see you guys after the summer break. Take care. <laughs>